Throughout my life, I've always done things to the fullest. And if I was going to do this, I had to do it right. I told him I won't do the movie unless you completely open up to me in a way you've never opened up to anyone else. He seemed ready for that. You know, I think that at the end of the day, we've done something here that we're all very proud of. But it's been a hell of a journey. You're listening to Skip Intro with me, Krista Smith. When you hear the name David Beckham, a clear image comes to mind. The movie star good looks, the celebrity marriage, the elite athlete with that famous magic foot. No one can bend it like Beckham. Depending on when you were born, there are many David Beckhams. But now the public persona has given way to a new unvarnished version of the person behind the businessman, fashion icon, and world-class soccer player or football player, depending on which side of the pond you're listening from. Beckham is a new docu-series on Netflix that traces David's rise from his humble beginnings in East London to international sports superstar. He's played for the very best teams, 11 years for Manchester United, then on to Real Madrid, LA Galaxy, AC Milan, and Paris Saint-Germain. He's the founder and owner of Inner Miami FC, you can't miss the team with their pink jerseys and the recently acquired Lionel Messi. He is also one half of one of the most enduring celebrity marriages. His wife, Victoria Beckham, is known around the world for her fashion brand and years as Posh Spice of the pop sensation Spice Girls. Together, they've raised four children and built a life across continents and professions. Today, we'll be taking a look behind the scenes of Beckham to find out what went into the making of this exceptional docu-series. To be honest, I was always planning at some point to make a life doc. And this year is the 10-year anniversary of uh, when I retired. So I knew that I wanted to kind of do it around this time. It was just whether it was the right time and if I could make it happen. I just felt that you know, at some point, people kept on turning around to me and saying, it's an interesting story to tell. You have to tell it at some point because it's not just about, you know, my football career, but it's about my family. It's about being married to a spy scale and my journey. This is such a personal thing to me. And when I sat down with my team and said, okay, this is, this is what we're going to do and this is how we're going to do it, um, it was really important that we got the right director. And I met some amazing directors and, you know, talked to some amazing people that wanted to be part of this and wanted to do it and tell the story in their way. But nothing ever felt right. So I kept on looking and asking people and I've got a couple of people and close friends that are in the movie business and the documentary world. And one of my closest friends turned around to me and said, Fisher Stevens, that's the guy. For those of you who aren't aware, Fisher Stevens is an acclaimed documentary filmmaker and actor who recently played Hugo on Succession. Within the documentary space, he is well known for putting environmental conservation at the forefront of his work, including films like Mission Blue, Before the Flood, which Leonardo DiCaprio co-produced, and The Cove, which won Best Documentary Feature at the 2010 Oscars. When Fisher was first approached about the four-part docuseries on David Beckham, he was unsure about taking on the role of director. 
But his love of football, and ironically, his love for Liverpool FC, Manchester United's oldest and biggest rival, convinced him to do some independent research on David. Ironically, I was shooting Succession when I got the call, and and the writer, creator, uh, Jesse Armstrong, and the executive producer, Tony Roach, and I, they're British, we talk football all day. I went up to them, I said, I get this call from Beckham's people, actually through Leonardo DiCaprio's people, because Leo's recommended me in some weird roundabout way. And I'm like, I I shouldn't do it, right, guys? And they're like, what? You have to do it. David Beckham was a brilliant football player. His life is incredible. You have to look into it. And then they, uh, Tony sent me a YouTube clip, and then I just started digging in. And sure enough, like I was like, this guy was not what I thought at all. Watching him play was the really the, the, the convincing because I didn't know. I'm like, well, if I don't know, no, nobody, none of my people know. Friends know how great he was. The other thing that happened was before we committed to each other, we thought, let's meet, you know, let's meet. So I had dinner with uh, him and Victoria and Dave Gardner and Nicola House who work with him, and I just, I just knew. The moment I met Fisher, I knew that he could tell my story in possibly a way that had never been told in that way before. He was coming from a different perspective of my life. It turned out that he is a football fan, even though he's a Liverpool fan, which isn't great, obviously, but he is a football fan. So he could tell my story in a different way, and that's what I wanted. We just clicked. David was wonderful. Victoria was hilarious, really funny. I said, okay, I'm going to, this is going to be good. And it's going to be funny because Victoria was so funny when I met her. I just got excited. I didn't really judge him because I didn't come in with any baggage, which might be another reason he hired me, you know? So I think he felt I could, he could tell me his story and it's more fresh. Yeah, I could read stuff, but I'm reading it 20 years, 30 years later, not in the moment. I literally had no recollection, right, of that. So I think he liked that. He's a really generous person, and if he says he's going to do something, he does it. And I think he knew that this couldn't be Brand Beckham, and I made that very clear. He wanted to tell his story, but he didn't always know how to express himself. So I had to kind of help him at mm-hmm. times. And I think it was re- he was exhausted after some of those interviews, exhausted, because he was reliving it, mental things that he's pushed aside for so many years. Hamilton's pass to Owen wasn't quite what was required, and neither was that challenge. And Beckham, now whether Beckham accidentally smacked into the Simeone, I think a yellow card is going to be brandished here somewhere, and it might be to David Beckham. Wait a minute, he's taking another card out for Beckham, it's a red card for David Beckham. Oh, no. So Beckham... Out of the game. I've tried to live my life in a way where I don't have regrets. Yes, I made mistakes. Everybody knows about the mistakes that I've made. You know, in 98, I get the red card. Do I wish that it never happened? Absolutely. Do I know now why it happened? Absolutely. You know, it happened for a reason, to make me stronger as a player, to make me stronger as a person, maybe to have a better and more successful career. He's got one of the most strong constitutions of any human being 
ever. I mean, you know, between that and 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 what he went through in Madrid with the, the people just coming at him, you know, there's the scene with him driving his little son through the crowds. He that was his life. David, you know, he talks about the red card, has talked about it in interviews, but we really wanted him to really relive some of that time and how difficult it was. It wasn't until I watched a lot of the footage around that time and after that time that I realised how bad it was. It was a bleary-eyed and deeply upset England that dragged itself to work this morning. A good match, they said, but desperately disappointed with one man. Beckham was out of order, basically. To get sent off in a match like that is a disgrace to anybody. I'm sorry for his career. Unforgivable. Gutted. I mean, you know, I'm sure the whole country is. The country needed this. For one fan here, it was all too much, sending their television straight out of their third-floor window after the match. Gutted, devastated, that's what a lot of people are saying this morning, and they're, most of them holding David Beckham to blame. I knew it wasn't great at the time, but I just kind of carried on playing football. I was in the Manchester United and Sir Alex Ferguson bubble, and I never really got affected by it. But deep inside, I was hurting in many different ways. I'm glad these days that young kids, footballers, people in life feel that they can talk to people and feel that it's okay to say that I'm not okay. But, you know, 25 years ago, 20 years ago, when that happened to me, I can't remember anyone saying, are you okay? Yeah, but are you really okay? Because if I'd have turned around to my dad at the time and said, dad, I, I just don't feel great. I feel, he'd have said, boy, just get on with it. Work harder, work harder, just forget it. Talking about it now, talking about it over the last 17 months for me, was really difficult. That was the that was probably the, one of the most difficult parts of this, just because I saw how bad it was. And I answered to Fisher exactly how I just answered to you. How did I get through it? I don't know. And the red card was the beginning. And, you know, we we show you in over the course of four episodes the obstacles he's constantly up against. It was like a, an emotional roller coaster, you know, looking at the good things, the bad things, the things that I've done over my career and my life, looking at my family stuff, some things that I'd never even seen before, which was just unbelievable. To be honest, there's a lot of stuff that I've not even thought about for the last 30 years. And I suppose that's why, that's why, probably one of the reasons why I wanted to do this documentary is because I wanted to kind of look back, celebrate, cry, laugh, and have those emotions that I've had over the last couple of years, because in this process, I've gone over every single moment from the moment I was born till right up to now. So, you know, and there's a lot of stuff that's happened and you don't realize until you sit down and you look and go over exactly what's happened. And then people remind you of other things. And I think that was, that was the other tough part as well, you know, I thought I saw a story in my head, how it happened. But then when I finished telling the story, someone off camera would be like, yeah, but that's not really how it happened. It wasn't easy for him. I would say, you know, I felt like I was his therapist, so I had to be patient. He'd never been to therapy. He never really kind of reflects. He's not a reflective person. He's always about the next moment. I want, you know, Miami now. It's all about Miami, whatever. I had to slow him down, and, and, and the beauty of what he did was he gave me a lot of time to do it. 
So I sat with him over 10 different periods over the year and almost two years. And um, I had to go back a few times because I felt like, you know, David, we didn't really get to the core or the essence of your hurt here. Or can you retell me this story? And I also am an actor, right? So I am used to going there myself. So sometimes I would think, okay, how do I, how do I get to this emotion? How would I get to it? So I would press him like I was in a scene with him, like an acting partner to get, to get what I needed, which is partially why I love documentaries as another, my other job, because I can kind of go into a role as a actor sometimes when I'm interviewing. Beyond finding ways to help David open up and reflect on the scrutiny of their everyday life, both in and off the pitch, Production also required David and Victoria to open up their homes and private spaces in ways they had never done before. He's coming into parts of my life that I've A, never talked about before, B, never let anyone into our homes before. So if I was ever going to do it, this was the only time I was going to do it. I asked him early on, I was like, dude, what are your closets like? And he said, oh, and I snuck up and I looked and I asked, can I shoot you? And he's like, no, no, I don't want it. And I begged him. And finally, he's like, okay, 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 you know, if you want to. So you do this? I do this kind of color coordinated, and then obviously I put them at an angle just so I can see what's under them. T-shirts. Yep, T-shirts. So those are my outfits for the rest of the week. Wait, 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 explain that to me. I prep my week, yeah. It used to be just the night before, but is that a newish obsession? Yeah, it is actually. Huh. You should see the house. His stuff is like, it's it's nuts. He literally prepped the week, like, for the clothes. We were filming in this one scene, and I, I moved things around. I messed them up. This is at the beginning. And then I noticed him, like, putting everything, like, back in a weird way, like, really crazy, like, the way he would place the uh, the couch back after we shot and and like he did it himself and like uh we turned some of the liquor bottles down in the man cave right. just to and then he oh he noticed it and then he turned so i'm like jesus christ so then we shot a scene a week or, you know month or so later in the kitchen and i see him and he starts to like he's cleaning shit up i said to my crew i said when we film him cooking he's gonna clean i said we gotta get it and then david stopped when he, and I said, David, just go. We're just going to film. Do what you do. I, you know, it's okay. And so he said, okay. And that that's what he does. The fact that when everyone's in bed, I then go around, clean the candles, turn the lights on to the right setting, make sure everywhere's tidy because I hate coming down in the morning and there's cups and plates and, you know, bowls. It's tiring. It's tiring going around every single candle, cleaning it, clipping the wick, and, you know, it gets tiring. You clip the candle wicks? I clip the candle wicks, I clean the glass. That's my pet hate, the smoke around the inside of a candle. I know, it's weird. He's a madman. Everything he does is, like, with purpose. He does it 100%, you know? That's that's who he is. He's a, he's a, it's, he's a fascinating person. I was shocked by all this stuff. 
We're a very private family. Obviously, we're very public and people know us and we're very, obviously, famous. I never like to use that word, but people probably don't really know us really in a way that we wanted to show in the dock. So I had to give access. I wanted to give access to certain parts of my life and certain parts of my homes. And just an insight into, you know, what goes on every single day for me. You know, I am a normal father and a normal husband. I take my kids to school, I make them dinner, I make them breakfast. So, you know, all of those things, people kind of feel that they get to see them, but they don't really get to see them. It's undeniable that David's life is far from ordinary. But at the same time, these domestic moments offer a glimpse behind the ironclad public persona we're all familiar with. And while it's fascinating to see David Beckham, as an ordinary human living his life, it's impossible not to recognize that this is also the person that endured years of excruciating public harassment as a young adult. How he managed to not only keep it together during that time, but also thrive, is one of the components that I found most compelling about him and this doc. As Fisher put it to me, how did he not fall off a cliff? And while this docuseries provides numerous explanations for his resilience, it's clear to me that a key player behind his strength was Victoria Beckham. You know, I've been very lucky to have, you know, a loving family when I was growing up. And then obviously once I met Victoria and joined Manchester United, I had another family that loved me and that I could love. So, you know, these are the people that keep you sane. was on tour, not knowing when I was going to see him. That was the difficult thing. But he used to do anything to just try and spend time with me. He would sometimes charter a tiny, tiny plane, like a two-seater plane. He would come over literally just for a few hours and then go back. This way. Soccer and spice. Victoria, can you describe the ring for us? posing for pictures after announcing their engagement. Everything about Victoria, I loved. I didn't know she was the strong woman that she was. And I liked that. I don't know whether it was because I wanted her to look after me. You must have felt safe with her. Yeah, I did. I got to the end of the first two episodes and me and Victoria looked at each other and we were like, Firstly, we were really cute when we first met. And then secondly, we were like, oh my God, we're exhausted after watching our lives in the last, you know, 20 years. Leading up to their interview, Fisher wasn't quite sure what to expect from Victoria. But as soon as they sat down together, it was obvious that hearing from her would be a highlight of the series. I mean, man, she was so different than what I thought. She was great. She was funny. She was fast. Unlike David, who was like, well, you know, very at first tentative. She just came out like a shot, like she was shot out of a cannon. I think the first interview, she, David was around. I had to like say, he's got to leave the house. You know, <laughs> I don't want him even around because she's probably thinking, you know, so he went, I had to kick him out because he was so, I think he was so excited. They were like kids. Oh, you're going to interview Victoria. I'm like, yeah, you're not going to be here. But he did. Of course, he snuck at the beginning and then I had to, Tell him to get lost. Um, and then we scheduled them where David was not even around. So, and then each interview, again, more, you know, I think she got 
more and more comfortable. I was interested in her telling me about David and how their relationship stayed together. It's not Victoria's story, but you learn so much about Victoria through her telling us about David. And it's really interesting. And they've been through unbelievable ups and downs. And she was, you know, she's very clear on that. The person that it really affected the most was probably Victoria. You know, like it affected me in the same exact way. You know, talking about our life, talking about our family, talking about our kids, talking about our careers, talking about what we've gone through in the last 26 years. So that's a long time and a lot's happened in that time. So, you know, to sit down and actually talk about it was hard at times, of course, but it was also, it was like therapy. You know, we were, we were able to actually talk about things that, well, I personally hadn't talked about before. Um, and discuss things that had happened in our lives. And it made us sit back and then feel proud of what we've achieved in our careers, but also even more so what we've achieved, you know, being together for, for the 26 years. In addition to interviewing countless friends and teammates, Fisher also had the opportunity to sit down with David's parents. And I love David's mom and, and dad, but yep. the mom, she was so warm. I remember we, we spent a lot of time with her because I like to hang out a bit before we interview people, especially like people who aren't used to being on camera. And so, you know, I had a lot of coffees and teas with the mom and kind of really got to know her. She was, she was great. I think one of the most emotional parts was, you know, hearing my mom and dad's perspective in, you know, in their way about my life you know, not just about my career, because I know that they're proud of me about my career, but when I hear them talk about my kids, when I hear them talk about, you know, what we've achieved as a family, that was quite an emotional moment. You know, I get to see people talking about me in such an amazing way, whether it's friends, family, ex-teammates, you know, having my family there, my kids, my wife, my mum and dad, they've all been part of this journey. So to hear them, talk about it from their side and their point of view is quite amazing. I didn't want to make this documentary for me. I wanted to make it for my family, for my kids, for the grandkids, for my mum and dad to look back on it and, and, you know, have them have something to kind of cherish, you know, because it has been a journey. A lot of people told me to make it and I got convinced in the end Yes, it's the right thing to do, but, um, you know, it was for them. There are so many appealing angles to this series, whether you want to dive into the historic moments it examines in English football or immerse yourself in 90s and early 2000s nostalgia and pop culture, or maybe it's just to examine the unique intersection it presents between sports and celebrity. Regardless of the draw, it's an undeniable reminder that David's legacy looms so far beyond that of a sports figure. He's remained at the top of our pop culture subconscious since he first came on the pitch at 17 years old, which was now over 30 years ago. That enduring relevance continues to fascinate me and so many others who have found that the reaction to the name David Beckham has not waned over the years, but rather evolved into something larger than life. Perhaps that's why Beckham affected me so deeply. It was a peek behind a curtain that I didn't necessarily think we'd ever get. And with it, 
we got to meet someone entirely new and entirely remarkable. Beckham is now streaming on Netflix. This episode was produced by Isabel Arricchio and Maddie Saff and engineered by Dave Corwin. Special thanks to David Beckham and Fisher Stevens for their participation. Please subscribe, rate, and review Skip Intro wherever you've been listening. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Krista Smith. <laughs>